You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona homeowners. Let's talk trees today. It is the second Saturday of the month, so we are talking trees with ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service. Julia's standing by to screen your calls. Gary's behind the board. We've got uh, Jennifer in studio, John in studio. And if you're just joining us, uh, a lot of our radio affiliates have yet to pick up the 7 o'clock hour. It's the newest hour to our 30-year broadcast. It started as 2, then in 04 it went to 3, and then 3 years ago it went to, it was either 3 or 4 years ago. Let's see. It tied in with Landry's Landry birthday. Landry was born on the 13th, 2013, and the first broadcast was on her one-year birthday, live at Sanderson Ford on Valentine's Day. So, so three and a half years. Yeah. Yep. And the way a lot of radio program, radio stations around the country work, those early morning hours, especially on a talk format, are pre-sold vitamin commercials and you know, mm-hmm. uh, real estate ads, and you know they they're under four or five year contracts to broadcast this content. So it takes a long time to get those slots to open up to bring the broadcast available to our entire listening audiences across all all of our different six radio affiliates. So for those that miss that seven o'clock hour or don't stream it from one of our radio affiliates that does carry it, <clears throat> Rosie was in an off-roading wreck uh, rollover uh, on October 17th. He spent 44 days in the ICU and has been moved uh, to rehab where he's been there a little over a week. And just like everyone had been telling us, at the point you get to the rehab facility, you're going to start seeing improvements a lot faster than you see in ICU. They're going to happen not only daily, but, you know, hourly. But he's, he's getting stronger every day. And if you'd like to follow follow his story, go to caringbridge.org, Rosie's Recovery, or we have it posted right on our Facebook page. So I, I put a fresh post on there for today if you're just joining us, but you can see how he's doing, and he appreciates all There's a place there to send cards, and he loves the cards. Keep them mm-hmm. coming, and prayers for sure. So it's Facebook. Uh, go to the Rosie on the House uh, page. If you don't use Facebook, it's caringbridge.org, and then just type in Rosie's Recovery. And we look forward to having him back pretty soon with all the, you know, it's still hard to say or predict when that will be. Uh, and I think we're going to have a lot better feel for that in the next week or two because we've only been in rehab about a week. After two or three weeks, we're going to be able to say, all right, we're, you know, we're, we're a lot closer. And the great thing about radio is it's not like uh, a, a TV, I won't say personality, a TV host. Uh, you know, we've got no cameras here. <laughs> he didn't look that bad. No, no, no. But <laughs> <laughs> he did take a bonk to his eye and neck and spine. So most of the stuff is kind of hidden. And his lungs, his lungs, it would have troubled him so bad. But yeah, but he'll be if, up and if he's got a, a cane for the first mm-hmm. two or three weeks that he's back on air, you know, they probably wouldn't put somebody with a cane on TV. Mm, true. <laughs> Well, on behalf of Integrity Tree Service and all the Rosie partners, we just want to uh, send along our regards, our condolences, and also just our prayers. We've been holding you guys up in prayer over the last several weeks, and um, it's so uh, such good news to hear that Rosie's made a turn and he's uh, into into um, his recovery mode. So, and we we spent the entire seven o'clock hour talking about it. So you can go to get the podcast for the entire details and. We were 
looking at making this announcement, we talked about taking the entire four hours. I mean, this is day 52. You could easily, you know, you've got a lot more than four hours of talking about this. We could do, but uh, the radio uh, manager at our flagship station at KTAR just said, you know, you, you don't need to do that because he's going to be back soon. You know, if this was a retirement broadcast, that's a different story. This is a great outline for retirement. Just cover it in your 7 o'clock hour and then mention that listeners can go back and listen to that 7 o'clock hour for the entire update. And Let them know Caring Bridge. And, and we've been going to Caring. Yeah, my wife, Kim, and I have been going to the caringbridge.org website, and that's a great place to catch all of Jennifer's uh, uh, writings and kind of updates that have been so helpful over the last couple of weeks. Well, we covet those prayers. We're just really thankful for them, and, and God has been merciful, and um, he is healing. So thank you for that. We had so many reports of people praying for him at Thanksgiving, reports of people being woken up at night to pray for him. So we just appreciate that much. Yeah, and, and I think the most important point Hatch made is that, you know, Rosie wouldn't want you spending four hours talking about him. The, <laughs> the mission of the Rosie on the House program is to be every Arizona homeowner's best friend and he would want you to meet listeners expectations and we've set the expectations second Saturday of the month we're talking trees John is this our fifth year yeah it's gone by quickly (laughs) but yeah I think it is our fifth year we're uh, uh, talking today about a lot of fun stuff Um, our tree of the month is the Elderica pine tree the you know Pinus Elderica it's a a, a wonderful um, you know, a spotlight tree for December because it's it's it has a, a conical shape, uh, much like our Christmas trees. And it's I'm a big fan of pines in Arizona. You know, we don't have any native pines in the low desert, but there's plenty of of uh, pine trees from around the world that are adaptable to our desert climates. The uh, Elderica pine is also called the Afghan pine because it's from that part of the world in a very arid climate um, in Afghanistan. And it's uh, distributed in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and also in Russia. But it does really well in our desert here. And, you know, you you mentioned in the the first hour broadcast about the the rain we've had recently. And the winter rains um, that are common to the the, a lot of the the Aleppo pines, which are from Aleppo, Syria, and, and, and even the Elderica pine, they enjoy a lot more winter rain than we get here traditionally. And that's one of the reasons why many feel that the, the pine trees ha- have had these cycles of problems with a bit of flagging and some dieback of some of the, the tips of the branches. Um, one of the, the, uh, the um, uh, reasons why we think that's occurring is because of lack of winter rain. And so when we get these nice, long, uh, you know, uh, periods of rain at this time of year, it's really good, especially for your pines, because they enjoy that deep that deep soaking, especially as they're kind of replenishing their uh, nutrient supplies as they head into the winter months, a little quieter time of year, and then they're getting ready for a big push of, of growth in the spring. The Elderica is, is, is really nice because it maintains that single trunk dominance, so it always kind of keeps that cone-shaped um, uh, crown as opposed to the, the Aleppo pine, which loses apical dominance and gives permission for the side branches to kind of compete with the central leader. So you have more of a rounded tree form when you have the uh, Aleppo pine, but the Aldericas keep more of a, um, a conical shape. And I, I just love them because they're, they're, they're so uh, maintenance-free. 
I mean, they, there's a little bit of litter pickup, but it's real easy to rake up pine needles. I mean, leaves that blow all over are, tend to be a, more of a mess. But pine trees, when the needles drop, they pretty much stay on the ground right where they drop. And you can just rake them up like spaghetti and kind of, you know, put them in your bags and you're done. But they're also just a, um, uh, a, a pest-free, pathogen-free um, tree for the most part and, and just really appropriate for our desert landscapes. If you're looking for a nice pine tree, Elderic is a good, uh, uh, just a really a special tree on my list. And you've talked about the comparison of that to the Aleppo. You know, it's almost impossible to find an Aleppo. I won't say almost, but I haven't. I I have a to try vision. to go buy one. I, I yeah. really have because I, as we're building our property and maturing and and doing the landscapes, we were very blessed to have you know basically five acres of a clean slate to put whatever we wanted hmm. on it. And when you drive through one of those mature neighborhoods, like you know the the irrigated neighborhoods, Arcadia Central Corridor. Well, the horse property neighborhoods. Okay. Yeah. And they've got a row of Aleppo pines that separate the properties. And you just see the horses grazing and they're shading in it's the a trees. It's great windbreak, yeah. I'm like, that's that's what we need on the south side of our property for a windbreak. It's right against the arena. Yeah. And can't find the Aleppo. I can't find the Aleppo. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What do the nursery uh, nurseries say about that? You need Afghans. <laughs> <laughs> well, we you got know, plenty of Afghans. You need that's an Afghan. <laughs> that's a testament to the um, the popularity of them. You know, because they there's it is a supply and demand issue with the nurseries too. But uh, you know, the, I'd be interested to know why because the Aleppo's tend to be taller, maybe a little more faster growing. The Eldericas are a little smaller profile. They can still grow to be, you know, 50, 60 feet tall at maturity, but still the Aleppos can be 80 or 90. But we're losing a lot of them with this Aleppo pine blight that nobody has a solution for either. So, yeah. Well, they seem to, to, to grow out of it. This is a second, this last year was the second cycle I've seen in the last 20 years where we had a, a major die, dieback. But most of the, of the pines uh, pull out of it after a year, so you need to be patient. Whenever you see that flagging on your pine trees, that 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 dieback of the branch tips, don't just because the the needles have turned brown, the twigs or the small branches that are supporting those needles are still are still vital. They're still green, so let those needles fall off over the next season, and then they're often put on new growth. But you might have to wait till the next spring to see that new growth come on. But all through our neighborhood, you know, most of those trees that were really really bad, including my own, I have a bunch of Aleppo pines. They all bounce back, you know. They're all doing 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 well. So, um, hopefully, you know, this won't we won't have another one of these cycles for another ten years. And uh, anyway, these winter rains are are responsible for helping uh, prevent some of those problems. So, you shouldn't have said br- that. Bring I'm it back. on. I, I I was this close, John, to going and making the decision to switch to Aleppo, and the pine blight was one of them. But now knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> There's still hope, and and I'm not afraid to drive. I've brought trees in from San Diego before because that was the only place I could find them. I'm back well, on my Aleppo's. <laughs> really, yeah, it, it, and you really do need to get need to get to the nurseries and ask them about some of these the unavailability of some of the plants that we used to have years ago because those Aleppo's were really popular back in the '80s. So you, that's you'll see those 40 year old trees now that are just dominating the landscape and the skyline all across town, and they're pretty awesome. So. I still have a hard time putting 80s 40 years ago. Oh, my gosh, I'm that old. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, our monthly tree tips, we want to talk on several things. And, and we will do that. Uh, there's a lot of things we can do. We can't stop the clock. It's time for our first break. If you have a question, you'd like to talk to ISA Certified Arborist John Eisenhower. It's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Text 411-923. Or if you want to snap a picture of a tree or an insect for a little plant uh, insect identification, you can email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. Some grow nuts, some grow leaves. Either way you look at it, we're talking trees with John Eisenhower on Rosie on the House. We are talking trees and we are going to get to our tree trimming, our tree to-dos. Real quick though, we've got a, a little little lanyap, little something extra. It's Generally, we have one set of tickets to give away in the, and we do that at 920. We actually end up with uh, two sets of tickets. So if you are an ASU basketball fan. Uh, I am. You are? Yes. Okay. <laughs> in the top 20 and, now. Too. And you can't compete because I know for a fact you haven't won our, one I of know. our tickets in the last 12 months. So here's what you do. You ha- we got to make you earn it just a little bit. What was Arizona's first capital? And this was before we were a state. So it was a territorial capital. Fort what? Not Fort McDowell. Not Fort Henry. What fort? If you have our home maintenance calendar, it's our Arizona trivia question, so you can get quick reference by looking in your December's home maintenance calendar or give you a second to search that online. Text the answer to 411-923, and all right answers between now and the end of this programming segment up to 9-8-27-50 will just be pulled at random. And you'll be going to ASU versus Princeton on December 29th. It doesn't have a time on it. I don't know. Are they, do they play nights or days in college basketball? Usually nights. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Game seven. Thursdays and Saturdays. To our talking trees. What are we What are we doing this month with our trees? Well, a couple of monthly tree tips. Um, start backing off on your pruning dosage on all of your evergreen trees, your frost-sensitive ones, especially your citrus and flower other flowering trees. Kind of back off on the the amount of, of foliage you're taking off if you're doing any trimming at all. Uh, your deciduous trees, on the other hand, can be pruned this time of year. So, your your mulberries, your pecans, your your other trees that le- and shrubs that lose their leaves this time of year. A winter is a great time. December, January is the perfect timing to to be trimming those back. And uh, you want to. Uh, be careful too when you're installing uh, your your holiday lights in any of your trees. Just we just um, do a lot of that all over town, and it's kind of cool because trees are the natural scaffold that hold up those those lights in your yard. Just kind of be careful the way you attach them to the branches. Don't be you know if you're going to wrap them around the branches, be careful because those ran- branches get larger in diameter, and if you leave them on too long, they can girdle those branches and do some damage to the trees. If you leave on too long, a year or so, sometimes the, the tree can swallow up the, uh, those, uh, grow right over those wires. So we recommend if you're wrapping the branches to just take them off each year and put them back up in the following year. Uh, the, uh, uh, or you can attach them, of course, with some landscape tape or some other methods so that you're not actually wrapping around the branches themselves but stringing along them. Now, I have seen trees grow over barbed wire fences out mm-hmm. in the desert over a year. So unless you were just designating this as your designated 
Christmas tree. You know, like every 10 years you could wrap a new string of lights and as the <laughs> tree grew and the lights would just become part of it and you'd never have to take them on or off. That would be your sacrificial uh, landscape Christmas tree. Yeah, unless, of course, those, those <laughs> wires girdled the, the branch and killed the branch, which is the, the risk that you take by doing that. So, yeah, be sure you take those uh, lights down every year is probably the best policy. And it makes it a lot easier to trim the trees, too. We always tell people, you know, please have the trees trimmed before you put your lights in because then we come up, you know, come to do our regular maintenance work and the trees all strung with lights and it's pretty hard to trim around all those lights. Um, the uh, olive tree spring is, this is your time of year to be uh, getting on the calendar. If you plan to spray your olives to reduce the the olive drop every year, um, the uh, the spray cycle starts in January, goes all the way through about April. But you need to get on the calendar soon. So if you need to contact your local arborist, now's your time to get on their calendar because it starts to fill up pretty quick starting after the 1st of January. Also, if you plan to do some uh, some spraying of your, your fruit-bearing olives, uh, it's nice to do some trimming ahead of time. So you might want to be thinking about scheduling that work also just prior to your spray schedule. That way it gives better spray coverage when the, the there's there's less foliage to cover. Of course, um, as all olive owners know, the dense the olives can be very dense and the very small branches and they can be very tight tightly uh, clustered. So if there if you can do a little bit of thinning in those those heavier clusters of branches, you'll get better spray coverage and of course that means less fruit dropping as it matures later in the year. Um, speaking of olive trees, there was some uh, uh, discussion about whether olives are legal in Arizona, uh, fruit-bearing olives. And it, it's yes and no, because the uh, Pima County in southern Arizona uh, actually outlawed mulberry trees, olive trees, and Bermuda grass back in 1984. They determined that because of the high pollen output that they were um, aggravating people's allergies. So they basically uh, disallowed those, those two trees, mulberries and olives, and then Bermuda grass from being planted at all within the, within the boundaries of the county. Outside of Pima County, though, fruit-bearing olives are, are perfectly legal to plant. But just like with your Aleppo pine, sometimes they're hard to find. And unless thought, you unless you specify um, to the nurseries that you want a fruit-bearing olive, most of the time you're going to find a fruitless olive because most people don't want the olives dropping. But if you want to process olives and you enjoy um, that possibility of having a fruiting olive, just put in a request to your local nursery and they can order it up. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's one 767 4348 Trees can't speak, but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking Trees with Rosie on the House. We had a lot of good guesses. It was not Fort Huachuca down in Sierra Vista that was the first territorial capital of Arizona. It was not Fort Lowell. I knew of Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff. I'm not sure I knew of Fort Lowell, but I'm guessing it's around Flagstaff. Not Fort Grant. It was Fort Whipple near just north of what today is Chino Valley. 
So everyone that texted in Fort Whipple, we're going to put your names in a hat. And if uh, we're going to check and make sure you weren't a Rosie on the House ticket winner in the last 12 months. And uh, once we've got that reduced down to our final uh, qualified contestants, we'll pick at random and send you uh, the tickets to Arizona ASU versus Princeton. And then next hour, about the 920 break, we'll give, uh, I think, their son's tickets. Yep. Some son's tickets. Son's tickets. Yes. I was going to say that even if you were not a winner of those tickets to the ASU game, you need to go this year because they're playing some really good b-ball. Good. Yeah. Sun Devils are doing really well. I'm, I, a, I'm, a, I'm an ASU alum, as you know. And I, uh, you know, I, I just they're, they're, it's really nice when you're, you're, uh, your alma mater is playing some good, uh, good sports, in any, at, in any sport. But it's really nice this year. They're, they have got a really good team, and it's uh, good to go out and support our local boys. That's all. Very good. 20th ranked Sun Devils. Yes, there you go. Mm -hmm. Talking Trees here at Rosie on the House with John Eisenhower, ISA Certified Arborist. You can join the conversation at one 767 4348 You can text questions to 411-923, just like Phil did. Uh, Bought a new home in Scottsdale, has very large mesquite trees. Uh, He seems the says the bark is extremely rough compared to other mesquites he has seen and wanted to know if this is normal or if it's something uh, that he, he needs to be concerned about. Well, it's two things. It could be a different species. Our, our native uh, Arizona or Prosopis velatina, our Very desert, shaggy. our velvet mesquite, no, they tend to be pretty, uh, pretty smooth in the early going. As the wood gets older in the lower trunk, it'll start to get more... Uh, more shaggy. It'll start to 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 get older and and build, develop some what's called suberin. It's more of a corky uh, outer cambium, and that's um, just d- due to age. But the species is, is is different too because with the the younger wood is smoother, the older wood is is is, is more rough. But between species, the Chileans tend to be have that very very coarse, dark, furrowed bark. Um, but the native mesquites uh, are a little lighter colored, and they tend to be a little smoother skinned, a little bit longer. All of them, as they get older, anything beyond about ten or twelve years, that wood will 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 uh, uh, develop a lot of suber, and it's a protective outer corky uh, protective covering for the tree. So it's to be expected, and not to, you know it's not unusual when that happens. But it depends on the age and the species. So there's really nothing for him to worry about. If you would take a walk out into Fort McDowell, would probably be the closest place to Scotts I can think of. You're going to see a lot of those mesquites yeah. that are aged. That the older, just, older ones, yeah. They're going to the bark's going to look just like yeah. what you're looking at. Per- perfectly normal. Yep. Let's see how we can help Aaron real quick before we get back to our uh, talking tree to dos here at Rosie on the House. Aaron, welcome to the program. How may we help you? Uh, thank you guys for taking my call. Uh, I've got a bougainvillea on the side of my house and uh, uh it's in my way uh and i hate to just take it out and throw it away is it possible for me to take it out and put it elsewhere yeah it just depends on the age and size if how big is the trunk you know at the at the ground i mean uh, the trunk's got to be about i'd say 16 inch round yeah it uh it's going to be a challenge. You know, they are, um, they can be transplanted. They are, are one of those shrubs that are pretty durable. 
and you can, uh, you know, high likelihood that you'll be able to uh, transplant it successfully. But you'll have to get quite as much of the uh, the soil around the tree as you can. And the wider, of course, you make that uh, root ball, uh, you know, if you put your shovel into the ground and start to, to dig down around it, to dig it out, to move it, uh, you want to take as, probably a foot of soil on each side of that 16-inch stump. And that represents a, a lot of weight. You'll be surprised that if you dig around it that, that far around, you may not be able to lift it out of the hole very easily. You might, it might take three or four people to, to get underneath it and, and lift it and, 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 uh, and get, get below it. Which is a trick too, you know, getting a strap or something all the way underneath that root ball and, and lifting it so you can actually, once you have a couple of straps underneath it, then it's a lot easier to pull it out of the ground, you know, with, with three or four people. But it could be, you know, three or four hundred pounds of soil on a tree that size. You know, you could go with a smaller root ball, of course, but then you're, that you're, you're risking removing so much root material that it doesn't uh, survive the transplant. So, um, you know, without seeing it, it's kind of hard to, hard to know. Also, the best time for doing that would be next spring. I would suggest sometime right around the uh, middle to the end of February at the earliest. Um, and then, uh, you know, take it then and the soil temperatures will, will begin to, um, to warm up and the uh, root activity, which is critical to the survival, uh, will be more likely in those warmer uh, soil, soil temperatures. And two years from now, after you've tried to kill it and transplant it multiple <laughs> times, and you're just completely fed up with it because they are extremely hardy. And th- there was a point where I used to take really good care of the bougainvilleas, and I spent so much time trimming them, and they were perfect color pulling up to the house, and they're on the side of the garage. I finally just got to the habit. I would just go whack them off at the base, mm-hmm. pull all those shrubs out because— the darn thing was going to be fully regrown and back in a couple months anyway. And yeah. All this time I spent trimming it to perfection, it lasted like six weeks. I don't have time for this, so I just got in the habit of whacking it off. Well, our, our listener and it come back. to that point, our listener might even be advised if if he doesn't realize you can do that, um, maybe you could just cut it back severely uh, to give you the clearance that you need, and maybe you'll be surprised that it, it, it responds well and it, and, it's, and it survives that very, very heavy radical pruning. And maybe you can keep it within bounds and live with it and, and enjoy it in that location. So, yeah, give it a get that. We've always told people, give that a try. And if you're going to take it out otherwise, you know, maybe you can, uh, you know, cut it back and, and find that you can live with it at a, at a smaller size and it, and it will survive that type of heavy pruning. Uh, before you you know t- go to the next step of having to to take it out altogether. Continuing on with our talking points for today, uh, we've got frost coming up. Hopefully, hopefully we get a good frost. We uh, just for the insect kill off. I'm I'm hoping for a good freeze. Yeah, this people winter. are saying no. I don't want the frost to kill my plants, and the other people are saying yeah, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's hard. Yeah, we we do need those that that hard winter freeze to kill some of the insect pests that otherwise overwinter, and then you have a heavy infestation the next year of white fly or aphids or what what have you. So yeah, the the, the uh, temperature extremes are helpful in Arizona. That's why we have such low um, insect populations here, is because most of them can't handle our either our hot summers or our very cold winters. So those temperature extremes are 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 actually beneficial, but when it comes to frost protection of your of your trees and shrubs, um, it is good to be uh, be ready. Sometimes, if 
Uh, those frost, those cold temperatures uh, drop quickly. A lot of the home improvement centers and hardware stores and uh, are are have a run on frost cloth. So you might want to, uh, in, in anticipation of that, get out and, and purchase your frost cloth now. Be ready for those um, those nights that are going to drop down below below freezing. Um, uh, to that point, too, on 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 the freezing. It takes not just a dip in temperatures um, to cause frost damage to plants. It takes more than that. It takes sometimes at least several hours at that low temperature. If it just spikes down for a, an hour or so on, on a given night, you're not going to have very much damage. But once it persists you know, you know, at that temperature for several hours overnight, uh, you'll start to have some, some damage, to you, especially to your broad-leaved um, plants. Uh, so protect them, keep them, um, you know, covered. Uh, avoid the use of plastic materials. They, they, they tend not to be very effective. They can actually cause, uh, you know, some problems. Uh, use a, 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 an actual frost cloth material or a, even a bed sheet. I saw, you know, um, people have used styrofoam cups to put over their, their cactus, too, just to protect the tips from, from getting too cold. And I saw a clever, someone had covered all the, the, the tops of their little cactus with a little Santa, uh, Santa hats, you know. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but oh, that's good. Yeah, it was really nice. It was very, very seasonal, protection. green, green and, and red, and uh, got the frost protection, but got their holiday de- decoration <laughs> at the same time. In fact, I think I'll post something to our Facebook page. Um, you might want to check. In fact, we might have already posted it. You might want to check our Integrity Tree Service Facebook page for that, that photo. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, uh, regarding frost protection too, be sure that whatever frost cloth you apply over your shrubs, be sure that you drape it all the way down to the ground level and then, and then secure it there because it doesn't help to just drape it over the top because the, the air can get below it and, and defeat the whole purpose. So be sure that the, you allow, you, you cut your frost cloth large enough so that you'll have plenty of extra material to get down onto the soil surface. And then, and then you can place something like a brick or some rocks on top of that. I'm speaking of with your, uh, uh, your shrubs mainly. And, but the same is true of, of your, uh, over your, over your small trees. You need to have that, that, frost cloth come all the way down to the ground and have enough left over that you can lay it out onto the soil surface and put something heavy on top of it to keep a complete dome of protected um, uh, space below the, the, the frost cloth. That allows the humidity you know, underneath there to, to modify the temperature and, uh, and keep it warmer. You can also put lights inside there. We've had some of our customers put floodlights inside the dome first and uh, and drape them up inside the tree. Even Christmas lights can help, although you need the in, in, incandescent type, not the LEDs, which don't produce heat. You need some some of the light bulbs that actually have a heat output to give you any benefit there. And uh, and of course, watering is important too. If you have, uh, if you're anticipating that we're going to be getting some freezing temperatures, a nice deep soaking around your trees is helpful because it it increases the humidity, and and therefore the effect effectiveness of your um, your, your your frost cloth system that you're going to install. Let's bring Raymond into the conversation. And as we do, one note, if Hello? <laughs> if you're not prepared for the frost or have frost cloth, when a frost comes, you won't find it anywhere. The stores get cleared yeah. out like that. They do. <laughs> I know. That's... So get prepared now. <laughs> Hope we got a frost. And if it doesn't come this year, you're prepared for next year when we do get that that next hard freeze. Raymond, how can we help you, sir? 
Well, I have a, maybe a couple of questions for you. I planted a nectarine tree and a peach tree, but my nectarine tree seems like it never grows or, or produces, a, like, really fruit on it. And I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. I mean, maybe I'm not um, um, feeding it, like, regular, you know, tree food or fruit food, whatever you guys get. It just seems like I'm not getting what, I'm, what I planted. We, and my peach tree seems like it grows a lot of peaches, but they're really small. Mm-hmm. Well, so as I don't far, know what I'm doing wrong. Well, I, I planted a nectarine tree myself, and it had a um, uh, it, it was a very slow grower. It didn't grow as fast as the peach tree, and it only produced a few uh, pieces of fruit as opposed to the, the peach, which, which has been prolific over many, many years. In fact, it eventually um, uh, the, the uh, nectarine uh, had to be taken out. But... It could be, too, that you have a nectarine variety that has a higher chill hour requirement. Uh, and, you know, you have to have a number of, a specific number of chill hours for every, um, every uh, fruit tree. And if we don't achieve those, that is, we don't have a, a number of, uh, a, a sufficient number of hours under 40 degrees, uh, the fruit, this, the tree simply won't be able to produce the fruit that you, that you, you desire. So, I do have a couple of those trees, and uh, we've kept them despite that fact. But it, it, it's disappointing because I only get the fruit about every five or six years, and we have enough fruit hours to uh, or chill hours to be able to produce the fruit. So you might want to, might need to just wait and, and uh, keep your fingers crossed for those um, those uh, those chill hours. And I'll tell you, on the peach tree, from personal experience, is the hardest thing to do. You j- you have to thin peaches. Yeah, you do if you want them to grow in mature size. And it's the hardest thing to do because it's such a beautiful pink bloom. The last thing you want to do is mess with it. But once those blooms start dropping, I mean, one in every four go out there and chop. My neighbor actually does his pruning by just going out and hacking half of his tree off. Mm. And it doesn't look the best, but his peaches went from, you know, the size of grapes to the size yeah, of oranges. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you run two risks. One is that you'll have, you'll have smaller fruit if you leave all of it on. Uh, but also you run the risk of, of branches breaking. So yeah, thin out your peaches, and they'll usually be larger, and uh, and you'll have and it needs less to be risk. At least six or seven less years risk old. Of, of branches breaking too. Yeah. The expert that's brave enough to say the word deciduous. Talking trees with John Eisenhower, Rosie on the house. Speaking of deciduous trees. Um, yes, it is a good time to 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 prune all of them, including the. Uh, your peach trees, good time to cut them back now. You don't want to wait until spring because they're one of the first um, uh, trees to bloom. And once early they, March, yeah, you know, once they bloomed, you know you've you've uh, you know you have to cut off all that bloom, and it'd be better to just cut them back now because they 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 bloom on on current year's growth. Our peach trees, so on whatever branches they're producing in the spring, all the blooms will be on them. You know, so you want to be able to. Trim and obviously the blooms are your fruit. <laughs> well, yeah, and and if if you haven't trimmed the tree back, and they're going to be way way out, way up high above harvest height, so you want to be cutting the back nice and heavily now. We call so that bird food. <laughs> that's right. It's just out of reach, and it's it's and and that's where you get all the heavy end weight uh, that causes the branch breakage. So, uh, cut it back now. You know, down to kind of a hat rack of of main stems. And then the the new growth will emerge, and it'll hopefully be at a height that you can get to with a ladder, and and uh, and easy easier to thin out. Sometimes we thin out. We don't wait. We usually wait until the um, the the fruit is 
about pea-sized to start thinning it. And you can thin out maybe a third early in the season. And then as a tree matures, you can even thin it. When you start to see branches starting to get a little bit heavy, you can start to see them bending under the weight of the fruit. Then you go back in and thin a few more out. And if you, if you do that, that maybe twice, you know, two thinnings over the course of the, the year, by the time the fruit's uh, you know, ready to, to harvest, it's even, evenly distributed because you've kind of thinned it out you know, where you wanted it. And then the, you give room for all the fruit to have, uh, you know, have a space to develop and get larger. We have a number of peach and a number of Anna apples that are starting to produce very well. And our horses love that time of year because that's how we thin. We'll take a bucket, mm-hmm. we'll pick them off, and then we'll go dump them in the horse troughs. And with apples, too, it's a, it's a little different. You know, the apples can be bearing fruit on second-year growth. So you want to be just be careful that you're not cutting back too heavily on your apples because sometimes and – they, and they're usually growing on horizontal branches. And you need to kind of know which are your – which where you – which is your fruit-bearing wood on all all of your deciduous trees? And you do a little bit of you need to do some research because from pears to peaches to plums to apples, there's little differences on on what which how where they're producing the the fruit. Is it on the current year's growth, second year growth, third year growth? So you need to know that about your individual species. Do a little bit of research and and then you'll know how to how much to prune them back. We got just a short two minutes here left, so Peggy, hang on. We'll answer your question uh, during top of the hour off air, but we've got to get a little content on citrus and then also the pruning class coming up. Yeah, I just I also wanted to mention we're looking for a photograph, a good photo quality photograph of a silk floss tree. Mm. The uh, AMWA, the um, Arizona Municipal Water Use It Wisely <laughs> Association, is looking for a a good photograph to feature in their brochure. And I'm looking for a silk floss tree. So if you know of a nice silk, silk floss, floss tree, tree around town that's, you know, you know medium height, probably under 20 feet of height or so, uh, please uh, give us a shout. I'd, I'd like to know where it is and, and if we could feature that. Does this they, include royalties or just bragging rights? Just bragging it? rights. <laughs> just bragging rights. It's, it's, it's a great – it's a tough tree to find around. I saw one this morning, but it's a kind of a scraggly-looking thing. And so I, I, it, it re- nice reminded picture. me to just put it out to our listeners because I'm sure there's a, some beautiful ones around town. Um, also, regarding all the content of the broadcast today, a good summary of all the tree tips and, and, and some really great information on protecting your trees from frost damage uh, through a U of A publication, you can go to our website, itreeservice.com, just the, the letter I, treeservice.com, and on the landing page, you'll see a little, um, uh, a little link there to go to our December newsletter. We have a Talking Trees newsletter. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter. But you can get our December newsletter by just clicking on that homepage of our website, and it will give you a summary of everything we've talked about today, in addition to a really great link to a U of A publication on protecting your trees from frost damage. And your pruning class? Does it Pruning class is coming up in, in January, January 26th. Uh, we'll be able to talk about it again in January, but if you want to get on that list, it, it fills up pretty quick. January 26th. Go to the dbg.org website. For the pruning class, if you need consultant, or a certified arborist, it's itreeservice.com to get a hold of John Eisenhower and his team at Integrity Tree Service. Merry Christmas to all.